Hello, patrons. Welcome to the end phase. Uh, this is Patreon exclusive content where we discuss additional information and content in regards to Warhammer Underworlds. Um, today, I've got a very exciting guest. Um, he is a Grand Clash winner and online event dominator, Tommy Conboy. How's it going? How's it going, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. And, and thanks for joining us here today. We really appreciate it. And I know that you've been really hyped for this warband. Um, and I, I think it's going to be fun to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. I've been looking forward to set up on warband since I first started the game. It's only taken, what, three, four years, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Four seasons later, you finally get it. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, I guess for those of you who are unfamiliar with the agenda today, in the main episode we mentioned that uh, we'll be talking about the Seraphon uh, Warband, which is the Starblood Stalkers. We're going to talk about their strengths, their weaknesses, their matchups, and then very quickly discuss how to build a deck with them. I've noticed online, and, and Tommy, please comment as well, is that some people are struggling with this Warband because they have so many tools, but also some of their fighters are... They at least appear to be weaker than they actually can perform, and so hopefully this will help them. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, they're very tricky. So I can, I've struggled with them the first couple of games, but once you start to lean into their strengths rather than playing the way you're used to playing hold objective warbands, they actually come out really strong. That's awesome. And, and I guess you just set me up for a great segue. So um, in your opinion, what do you think are their strengths? Well, Skittish is an obvious one. They've got uh, free access to reactions. If you're very clever about where you put your objectives and where you think your opponent will charge or move to, you get um, free sidesteps, essentially. So it frees up your resources for uh, later power steps for keeping on the objectives. And then the obvious one is the Clactrock fighter. He's just an absolute brute at the start. You can just wipe out strong fighters from the get-go, if you're lucky enough, of course. Um, yeah, Clactrock's a really fun one. Um, the three damage off the bat is is pretty intimidating, plus that reaction. The really fun part about him is if he hits the first attack, his reaction actually becomes more accurate because he inspires before the reaction. Yeah, it's something we, don't, we haven't usually seen before. Like the only time we've had an attack like that has been Ripaz, but... Of course, they're normally inspired before or after they do that. So, yeah, yeah, he's it's been the first interaction we've seen of that kind. Yeah, super cool. Now, now you mentioned skittish as well, um, uh, and and I can understand how that can be really tricky to pre pre plan, especially when you can't really always anticipate what your opponent is doing. So, what about that rule do you like, um, and how has it helped you? I guess increase your win rate with the warband. Well, it's, it's largely down to they have, I think it's instinctive tactics is one of their objectives they've got. So it's just a free reaction you can do if somebody's within range. And if you get two reactions, you can score that surge. But if you place objectives near to one or two of your skittish fighters and then place another fighter in a kind of easier, more accessible spot, so he's an easier target for your opponent when they decide to charge that one. If they decide to charge, say, Autopattle or Clactrock, then if you've planned ahead enough, you can get a free skittish reaction onto an objective if, if you've placed properly. Obviously, it's, it's never quite as simple as that, but um, 
it does work out more often than not if you plan ahead for it. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so you mentioned two strengths, uh, and then you also mentioned autopodal. So, I wanted to get your hot take here. Do you find autopodal to be a strength or a weakness, or maybe neither of the two? Uh, he's both. He's very feast or famine. I've, I've had games that he has won entirely by himself, more or less, and I've had other games where the dice just don't go your way and you get nothing from him. Um, he is just a, a two-wind fighter, so he's not like the main cog in your warband, so you can just kind of hope for him to pull something out of the hat for you. If he does, great. If he doesn't, then, yeah, he's another... He's another squishy fighter that can be holding an objective. It's not a big deal if he doesn't perform. So yeah, he's he's really good and he's a lot of fun. Like you can slow down some major fighters with him. Yeah, I played a game I think two days ago where he no supports, no no accuracy buffs, no rerolls. He just shoots at my Amos two times in two different rounds, hits, move token, she's zoned out of the game. And I'm now fighting with a two fighter warband. It was ridiculous. Yeah, there's a lot of combos you can kind of pull off with him as well, which are a lot of fun. Um, one in particular I really like is uh, to combo Lords of Space and Time, which is the free kind of teleporting objective, so long as you're not adjacent to an enemy fighter at any point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can use both Jealous Defense and your activation to potentially plant two move tokens on two separate fighters. Which, as you say, if you're up against Curse Breakers or a kind of three or four man warband, that can be absolutely devastating to them for a round. Yeah, that that actually sounds disgusting. So, <laughs> very nice. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so, one of the interesting things that I've seen is that there's been a lot of reactions in regards to the the, the faction cards and themselves, and they kind of um, um, they do a lot, and then sometimes they don't necessarily synergize. So. Um, maybe this leads into the, the the aspects of the warband that you find to be on the weaker side of things, but what do you think about their kit and also their weaknesses as a warband? Uh, so the main weaknesses, of course, are six models with four very squishy fighters, one semi-squishy fighter and Kixi Taka, the leader. Uh, Clark Troc is awesome. Like you, just, you can't complain about him at all. So as a whole objective warband, they can quickly lose a lot of their resources and really struggle to hold objectives. So some of their kind of obvious choices when you look at them at first are less obvious the more you play them. So a primary example is uh, things like Children of Azir. Like you think it's really easy to inspire the entire warband and hold three upgrades, but then when you actually play, you find sometimes it's better to just not bother with the inspire condition and just try and kind of play a war of attrition with your opponent as far as the losing fighters goes. Another one uh, might be controversial is Temporary Victory. Um, I don't tend to run that on my Star Stalkers deck because, again, your opponent normally assumes you're looking to hold three objectives and they'll expend resources to try and stop you. So rather than bricking my deck for two glory and the restricted slot, sometimes it's easier just to take a simpler surge objective for one glory. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Um, so just to recap, squishy fighters, and um, maybe sometimes a hard inspire, right? And so you're saying that in some of your games, you're not even bothering with the inspire or cards that would synergize while you inspire, like temporary victory. 
Yeah, exactly. They don't gain. They do gain. Some fighters gain some bonuses from inspiring. But if you look at the leader, he gains very little. Clatrop inspires himself. I'd say the next one that you want inspired is Otapatl. He gains quite a bit. But again, if you lose him, then the rest of the fighters don't gain a massive amount to justify uh, putting a lot of your tech into holding three objectives. Uh, sometimes a, a simple upgrade would make a fighter just as strong as if he'd been inspired in the first place. And it means that you're not expending resources and activations to try and get that inspire condition when really you're, you're not that rewarded for it. I think that makes a lot of sense because um, I guess I've just been really lucky in that I, I've been winning the roll off a lot. So I'm getting the uh, the three objectives on my side. But um, the games in which the third objective has been on the opponent's side have been challenging. Um, if you don't get like an early, you know, Restless Prize, Spectral Wings, or perhaps even a Lords of Space and Time. So um, that is interesting. So just to recap, um, strengths, right? You said Clackdrock. And you said their reactions, uh, it's particularly skittish. Um, weaknesses is, uh, you know, it's crazy. We just went over these. Um, the inspire <laughs> condition and some of the weaker fighter stats. And then autopodal is kind of like a mixed bag. Is that where we're at so far? Yeah, so far. I'd say uh, one that does need to be noted is they do have a lot of kind of trap cards, as I like to call them, in their uh, faction deck. So I see the first one I spoke about was Children of Azir, uh, which looks great at first, but then when you actually play it, it's like, uh, maybe not. Uh, Astrometrics alignment uh, for flipping an objective in enemy territory can be really easy, but again, can brick. Uh, by brick, of course, I mean it sits in your hand and there's nothing you can do with it. Um, <laughs> there's other ones like Vengeance of the Heavens. And there's, there's a lot of cards that you, for faction that you can pull off but if you find that you've got too many of them in the deck that then you'll have a really hard time scoring all of them unless you get really lucky so uh, it's important when you're playing them not to get not to overstretch yourself too much yeah um, because as I, as I said earlier a six model warband with a lot of squishy fighters sometimes just won't be able to to last the match to, to, to score them that makes a lot of sense. I also think there's that, there's that issue in the gambits as well. Like, you know, like Sotex Venom is a really cool card, but ultimately I just don't think it, it'll make your top 10. Um, so it's interesting, at least from my perspective, you might completely disagree, but like, I really want to play with it, but I just can't fit it. Yeah. It seems to make its way into my deck and then it leaves for something more useful. Yeah. I find the only one that can really make good use of it is Kixitaka because he's got the two range or the three range accurate attacks where you can kind of, you can depend on it and then get the move token down. The other skinks are a bit too inaccurate to depend on it and there's a lot of range in the game anyway so if a fighter's on two range then you're you're hopeful for a very inaccurate attack to hit to get that fighter out of range and give it a move token. Otherwise, you're leaving a squishy fighter in range of someone, giving them a move token, and then he's just attacking back anyway, so it's not a massive deal. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I think we've gone over, you know, um, 
some of the strengths, weaknesses, and, and, and some, you know, things that you've noticed while playing the Warband. Um, are there any cards that you want to highlight, or do you want to just get into uh, talking about what deck you would build, or maybe are currently playing with this Warband, uh, if you're, you know, trying to get the hang of it, or, or share some tips with some people who are struggling? Uh, I think cards in particular, they can lean quite heavily into the Hunter Quarry tech, especially the Quarry tech because they start with Otapattle, who can be quite tricky to take down. Um, so they can take things like Absolute Stillness and Cryptic Companion along with um, Ahead of the Hunt. And some of those are like really easy scorers and they're quite, de- they're quite dependable because of the, just the base stats of the Warband and what they do. Um, so it's not bad to look at look at those cards and consider them. Another one is the speed tech. So by speed tech, I mean like spectral wings outrun death and then unhesitating, which is plus two move for a skink. I mean you've got a lot of easy ways to get a fighter to six movement, which can then score you your cover ground, gathered momentum, and or winged death at any time. That's that's it's a good package for them all round just because of that base four movement on the skinks. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you, um, I'm assuming you're filling your deck with a lot of, actually, so if you have a deck, why don't we just jump into that? Because, um, you know, the push tech, I'm sure, is, is quite strong. And then, of course, your, you know, you mentioned the speed package. I'm sure there's some anti-primacy package in there as well, maybe an underdog or something like that. So I'm curious to see what you're taking since you're, you know, you're very strong at the objective play style. And then, of course... This has been a long-awaited warband for you. Yeah, I'll send you the latest edition just now, and we can go over it. But you, you'd probably be surprised. There isn't a lot of push tech. There's no underdog, nothing like that. Push tech, you have to just get burst from the shadows, which is an obvious choice. Uh, getting a double sidestep up to two hexes for two hundred is just yeah, it's a no-brainer. And Wanchi's device is just fantastic uh, on its own. It's a distraction, but you've got that small chance where you've got your opponents, maybe get three fighters left and all three are on objectives and you can just, it's almost going back to the the days of Howling Vortex. You just push all of them off objectives at once. Yeah. Howling Vortex, what a strong card. Uh, another card that reminds me of that is um, Great Concussion. Do you remember that card? I try not to. <laughs> I've always been a hold objective style player and that card was just awful yeah. like, that and Earthquake <laughs> and God knows what else there was we had to deal with back in the day yeah. it wasn't too bad when Earthquake was prominent you could just take your own and just counter it with its own but uh, Great Concussion much like Mystery Spirits even if you had your own Great Concussion to counter the opponents you never quite had the same board state that you started with so yeah, it was just awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Okay, so I got your deck. And uh, so I guess we'll just run through this together. Um, and I guess we'll holistically uh, kind of bucket things as well. So you mentioned that speed package, right? So we've got that gathered momentum. We've got that wing of death. Um, and we've got cover ground. So three very easy cards. Maybe card dependent, but, you know, generally... You know, I think you've got the right tools here. Um, rounding out your surges, hidden purpose, swift capture, both very strong objective-based scoring, and then instinctive tactics, which is, you know, the reactions. 
Um, I guess the idea behind the surges is just very quick, reliable, as they always should be. Um, is there a reason why you've opted for this speed package? Um, or do you just define it to be super reliable? So the way I like to play kind of hoard hold objective, an ideal scenario is I'm up against the opponent that only has elite fighters and they of course want to charge and a lot of t- a lot of the time with a lot of the objectives that are available just now, the opponent just wants to charge into enemy territory and stay there. So with the speed package I can put objectives near the back of my opponent's board and just run to them and it leaves my opponent with a kind of a decision that isn't ideal where they decide okay do we continue our initial plan which is charging forward and just leave my fires on objectives or do we then have to charge back to try and remove them which then puts them in a it's a kind of it's a bad decision either way so it means I kind of split and it's a war on two fronts for them. So that's why the speed package and cards like Lords of Space and Time and whatnot. Yeah, I really like that idea because back in the day um, when you were playing in, you know, Night Vault uh, and you were maybe playing against like Malog or, uh, you know, another aggressive warband, if you hidden paths to the back of their board, um, then you, it give, you give them a choice, right? And so do they keep running up the board or do they go back and... I really like the fact that you've implemented that here. It's a great meta read as well. Um, so that is something to consider for anyone listening out there. Um, rounding out your objectives, we've seen Path to Victory, Dominant Position, obviously great cards. Absolute Stillness, um, Friendly Quarries holding the objective, no move or charge tokens. Uh, you've got Autopodal as your quarry. I'm assuming, um, I see Cryptic Companion of the deck, so there is additional quarry tech available. Um, how reliable have you found this card? Because I feel like this card is a real hit or miss. It's been mostly reliable. I've got Outrun Death there as well, uh, which obviously works into the movement tech. But if I'm really struggling to keep a quarry alive, then I can always use Outrun Death just to turn a fighter into a quarry if it's sitting on an objective. Um, one card that does kind of move in and out of my deck depending on how much I'm struggling with absolute stillness is formidable defense which I'm pretty sure that's what it's called plus one defense plus minus one dice Uh, that works really well on the kind of weaker skinks who are obviously on one shield because then going to two shields for their their defense is is really strong that makes them a lot harder to kill it means you can just leave one on an objective that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Um, I like it. I like it. And then the last thing we've seen here is you've got three faction objective cards. And I feel like these are some really good ones. Um, balance the cosmic equation. Hybrids score this in the end phase if there are two or more enemy fighters out of action or your warband holds more objectives than either warband. This is almost like a pseudo-dominant position. Um, and I, I feel like you're going to score this more often than not on the latter condition. But even in some of my games, sometimes, you know, you get some good kills with Clacktrock, and uh, this kind of just scores itself and you don't have to worry about the objectives. Yeah, it's a fantastic hybrid for them because if they're up against elite warbands, say your three and four model ones, then they're, as you say, they're almost definitely going to get the second condition unless something goes majorly wrong. If they're up against horde warbands, then you can play a lot more aggressively. Uh forget the objectives for a round, just focus on killing, and then that card just scores itself, really. 
Yeah. No, absolutely. Well said. And then this is Will of the Slan, the next card. Score this in the end phase if your warband holds one or more objectives in two or more players' territories. So this is almost an end phase swift capture, but for two glory. Um, and I feel like it replaces, you know, traditionally treasure hunters in this style of deck, at least for this warband. Yeah, definitely. Um, I say treasure hunters might be asking a wee bit too much of them. It's too easy to read and you've got to throw fighters into bad positions for it. So only having to hold one in enemy territory can be a lot easier than having to hold two. Yeah. And then as as you mentioned, you've got Lords of Space of Time, Living Land, and Restless Prize as well. So you can you can make that happen fairly reliably. And then my favorite card, I think, is the Great Plan, right? So this is where you've scored six cards. One of them has to be a Surge. One of them has to be a Duel. And one of them has to be a Hybrid. And then you can score this at any point in the game afterwards. How have you found this card? I think I've scored it in almost every game I've played. It's wow. uh, fantastic. It's probably the best card. It's so simple. Drawing it early can be a bit annoying, but I wouldn't be in too much of a rush to get rid of it because quite often I find you can actually score it in round two if you're not too unlucky with your objectives. Yeah. I unfortunately have never scored this in round two, but I feel like the tempo swing you'll get in round two is insane. Three glory. Massive. Massive. Um, I suppose, do you have a favorite objective card from the faction while we're talking about objectives? Um, hmm. I really like Will of the Slan. I think it can be very hard to read at times for the opponent because you're just running on so many objectives that usually they're focused on the number of objectives you're on rather than the fact that you're on one in your territory and one in theirs. Obviously, yeah. as time goes on, people will get more used to this card, but uh, at the moment, nobody seems to be trying to cover well of this land. Quite often, somebody's used a distraction to push me off that third objective, but I've been on two in my territory and one in the opponent's and they've pushed one of the fires off in my territory, which is fine. As you see, as you can see from the deck, I don't need to hold three, so mm-hmm. that distraction has been worthless. It's done nothing. Whereas if they pushed the one off that was in their territory, it would have blocked well of this line. Yeah, I wonder why that is. It might be just an optical thing. You know, maybe if they're playing aggressively and they're trying to disrupt your side of the board, um, or if it's just that they're so focused on looking at your side of the board versus theirs. Um, I'd really like to look the the mentality and the psychology behind that. That's very interesting. Um, but let's let's move on here. So the the gambits um, we've got, you know, we mentioned a couple of these already. So we'll just run through them: restless prize, unnatural truce, jealous defense, mischievous spirits, spectral wings. Um, so we've got burst from the shadows, Huanchi's device, um, lords of space and time. Uh, Living land and outrun death, and actually those are from the expansion, but not from the faction itself. So, what do you, what do you, uh, how have you found their their faction cards? I mean, burst of the shadows. I mean, these all look like great cards. Um, any and any reason for a natural truce? A natural truce is just a good way to get. So, there's always going to be some cards that are more powerful than others, and I always find it's good to have at least one draw card in the deck to try and get access to the good ones. So yeah. You could have 20 cards in your deck, but unless you're spending activations drawing cards, which usually I don't 
have enough activations to draw cards very rarely, maybe one or two in a match at most. So unless I put draw tech into the deck, I'm not going to get access to all 20 cards. So the most I can account for without draw tech is 15 before I waste activations drawing cards. So if I got unnatural truce is an unrestricted way to get access to two more cards. It thins the deck down and gives you more resources. So it's, I think it's a solid card. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, people like to call it the friendliest card in the game because you're giving your opponent a card as well. Um, do, do you feel like in the quest for grabbing more resources for yourself, you might be giving your opponent a potential counter to what you're trying to do as well? Uh, so that, that is always a risk. But I find most people nowadays are either run, running a natural truce themselves or they're running things like Frenzy Search, um, Quick Search. They've got Crown of the Dead, you've maybe got Veteran Hunter for Rothgon. So they're getting access to their cards one way or another. So giving them that one card, it might be it may be a really clutch card at that moment in time, but I think you need, you need to be really unlucky for that to happen to you. It's important that you've got your own draw tech and you get uh, access to your own resources um, because your opponent more than likely will have their own ways of getting access to theirs. Right on. Okay. Yeah, that, that, mean, that makes sense. You know, I guess there is a bit of luck as well, but... Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I, fi I find it to be risky, but I guess if they're already drawing through their deck, it doesn't matter. To the end, it's quite popular. Um, so so rounding out your deck, man, you've got Cryptic Companion, which we talked about um, in your last Restricted card. Um, you've got Great Strength and Savage Strength, and, and I really want to pause here because uh, I've seen a lot of decks for these this Warband who aren't really taking very many Strength cards. Um, and obviously, you know, you've got Clactrack, he's kind of like the head honcho here but the other guys even if you give them an upgrade they're only going to two damage so are these just for him uh de depends on how the game's going so Huachi has two smash two damage at the start which is a fairly average but decent attack profile um giving him savage strength he doesn't he doesn't have to worry about the minus one defense and uh, goes up to three damage so like, that can catch people out because they're very used to the skinks not being able to do anything damage-wise. Um, great strength, yeah, it's just a solid card for the leader and Clatrock. Um, quite often I'll put that on the leader rather than Clatrock because uh, I find three three damage plus his ping damage from his action can be devastating for someone. Uh, yeah, you just you need access to damage in this meta because there's a lot of large fighters and there's a lot of damage reduction cards so being stuck on only one fighter being able to put any damage out can be it can be too much to ask of Clatrop on his own as much as he's a, a fantastic fighter he needs to be backed up a bit by the other fighters in the warband at times that makes sense okay okay um, so rounding out your objectives you've got Gauntlet of Command and Crown of the Dead uh, two very popular Mortis Relics. So I'm assuming, again, for the reasons you mentioned earlier, you like card draw. Crown of the Dead helps with that. Um, and then, I guess, with the synergies provided by Gauntlet of Command, you can jump onto objectives or maybe next two enemy fighters to make attacks. And then um, you've got the wounds and the reroll. I'm assuming this is Clactrock again. Perhaps maybe Kikitaka as a backup. 
Yeah, usually Kixie Tacker rather than Clattrock. Uh, Clattrock's one of those ones, he kind of functions by himself without upgrades. It really depends on how the game's going, uh, because sometimes Kixie Tacker just dies early and Clattrock's fine, or sometimes Clattrock's get wounds on him, in which case I might start preparing Kixie Tacker to be the damage dealer. Um, they're just very versatile. They've got the reactions, which helps you score instinctive tactics. As you say, got like command helps to push on objectives, helps you move around attack folk, and Crown of the Dead just gives you that sometimes crucial reroll and access to more cards, which is always good. So well they're well they're unrestricted. If they get restricted, uh, it's it's good to make the most of them. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I mean Absolutely right. So you've got you've got a plan for Kixitaka, but again, you know, it depends on the situation. So uh, absolutely, uh, unfeeling resi- resilience is another interesting card. Faction specific, fighter dealt damage, reduce this that damage by one. So we've seen this card a lot in warbands, especially in Beastgrave, right with Hrothkorn and and the Crushes. Now it's interesting because in this warband you've got four two wound fighters, one three wound fighter, and then of course Clactrock, who's four wounds. Um, so I know that you'll probably say it depends on the board state, right? But I guess for this one, um, is is there a preferred fighter? Uh, or is it just, you know, whoever needs to be alive at the moment? Or if you got this out early, like what's the game plan with this card? With that card, uh, always preferably the fighter with the most wounds. So it's Clactrog is the default every time because you get the most value out of damage mitigation the more wounds that you have. Uh, Rothgon is a perfect example of that. Sometimes that fighter is just unkillable depending on what attack profile you've got. Uh, but of course, as you say, it depends on the, the board state. I've used it many a time on Kixie Taka. I've even used it on uh, Otapattle if he's in enemy territory and I give him uh, scavenged armor for an extra wound. Uh, I find it to just be a, more valuable than just a straight plus one wound. Not always, but more often than not. Right. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, finishing it off, we mentioned Unhesitating before. Was that plus one move or plus two if you're a skink? You just mentioned Scavenged Armor, which I imagine is a nightmare on Autopodle, which is great for you, bad for your opponent. And then we've got Hunter's Talisman, which is fantastic card. Don't know why that's not restricted, but uh, <laughs> definitely use it while you can. Um, and then the last card is Barb Ladinette. And this is one I always find very interesting. Um, because this warband does have the ability to flex in sort of a control playstyle, where you're locking down enemy fighters with move tokens, inherently with Autopodle, and then there's some other cards as well. And when you look into the Universal set, this is one of those cards. Two range, three fury, one damage. If this is successful, you discard this card and give your opponent a charge token. How clutch has this been for you? And and why are you taking this card in this meta? Um... I mean, we know that it's dominated by Crushes and Molog. Is, is that par- particularly the reason? Yeah, mo- pretty much, to be honest. Uh, in combination with Otapattle placing move tokens, I find being able to use one of the skinks to charge hex- six hexes with the the move package and then hit a fighter. It's only one damage, but to put a charge token down on it, it can just be clutch and can completely shut down your opponent's game plan if they're if they haven't planned ahead for it. It becomes less useful when you start facing horde factions, but of course 
co-infections are a bit rarer just now because of the meta. So I think it's a really good card for them to take, especially when they've got four hunters from the get-go. Right, right, okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense, man. I appreciate you sharing this deck. 18 Glory, lots of cool tech in here. Um, you know, you've mentioned a couple ways to, you know, jump around the board, take advantage of your fighters. You've got the potential without any kills to jump up to 21 because of Cryptic Companion. So I'm digging it. Uh, my deck went into the temporary victory style of play, but I guess, as you've mentioned, it might be a bit too obvious. So I'm looking forward to trying this deck, and I hope uh, our listeners, whoever's listening, really, really enjoys this. Um, again, you know, to mention about a little bit about Tommy, he's obviously very enthused about this warband, but he's had a lot of success in his career playing this game uh, by holding objectives um, and, you know, I suppose outplaying his opponent in terms of positioning as well. So I'm looking forward to this, and, and, and Tommy, thanks for sharing. Are there any other, um, like, like feedback or guidance you'd like to give people who are looking to try either this deck or the Warband in general? Yeah, it would just be don't give up on them right away. Uh, similar to the spoilers, everyone completely ruled out the spoilers from the get-go. And then as soon as people managed to kind of get to grips on how they play and find out what their strengths were, that's when they started to come into their own. Uh, the Starbolt Stalkers are a fantastic warband when you get used to them and when you design them to be able to beat the kind of the meta, if you will. They're very versatile, so and they do take practice. So, yeah, I would stick with them. Awesome, awesome. Well, two last questions for you, um, and uh, these are from our patrons. So, mm-hmm. first question is, do you think Grimwatch are the counter to this warband? No. Uh, I think the Stalkers have a lot of very clever ways to get into enemy territory. Um, whereas Grimwatch really want to kind of hold their territory and uh, keep people out of it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think a lot of it can be can be dicey, which Grimwatch are just dicey anyway, thanks to fighters like Gristlewell and whatnot. But uh, no, uh, the Starbolt Stalkers are well equipped to to play into the Grimwatch's weakness. Right on, right on. Um, it's interesting because one of the first games I played was uh, against a good friend of ours, Gerard, and he was playing like a very aggressive Grimwatch, like amber bone weapons and charging, and I found it very hard to kind of survive that initial onslaught um, because we've mentioned so you know so many times that the warbands are kind of weak, and you know, interestingly, even even when they inspire, they're stuck at one block rather than jumping to that coveted two dodge, um, and so it, I guess. So perhaps maybe not Grimwatch, but do you find like, you know, maybe mass aggression could be very challenging for the warband? It definitely can be very challenging because you're at the mercy of the dice then. Uh, they've got some very strong defensive profiles. Claptrop can go to two shields when he inspires, or two block, I should say. Uh, you've got two dodge on auto battle, two dodge on kicks attack, and then even one block on the other skinks. It's not a it's not a given that you're definitely going to hit these fighters. But yeah, if, if you're up against your rippers or just a fast-moving warband with a lot of dice and it's not going your way, then really there's, there's nothing you can do. But uh, that's not 
that's not necessarily only the lizard men that suffer from that. It really doesn't matter what warband you play. If the dice aren't in your favour, then sometimes there's just nothing you can do. It's just the nature of the game. Okay. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, second question here is, do you play with these guys with anti-primacy? Uh, or at least what are your thoughts about that? Sometimes primacy makes it in. They've got, they've got plenty of ways to gain primacy on their own. And they're not quite as bad as Grimwatch, Thorns, Gits and whatnot as far as giving away primacy goes because you should be trying to keep the, the weaker skinks out of the way and use the, the good defensive stats of the top three to battle with your opponent. So primacy is not always a given against these guys. And I used to put underdog in the deck, but then I found that a lot of the time I was giving my opponent primacy so that I could score an, ob an objective rather than just focusing on killing something and taking primacy back, which of course is, is always a more beneficial thing to do. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for answering those questions and, and coming on this episode and sharing this, this deck and, and your thoughts. I mean, I was looking forward to recording this. I'm, I've hoped you've enjoyed it. I've hoped people have enjoyed listening. Uh, because I think it's some good stuff in here. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, appreciate it and happy to help in any way I can. Absolutely, brother. Well, well thank you so much. And, and for everyone out there who's listening, um, you know, best of luck on your path to glory. See you later. <laughs>